the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. With me is Michael Power, strategist at 91 in Cape Town. Michael, at the time of recording, you're due to present at 91's annual Global Insights Conference, which is returning as an in-person event in London, which is fantastic. What is your Global Insight? What's your message? My message at the moment is that the laws of corporate finance have been violated in the dollar atmosphere for capital. And the result is that the anchor that we have always had in the past, which is a real cost of capital to determine where new capital projects should take place, doesn't exist. And so we are essentially adrift without an anchor and we need to come up with another way of navigating. Um, whether you look at bonds, which have a negative real yield, or whether you have a look at equities, where the real cost of capital is negative, uh, in the Western atmosphere, the dollar atmosphere for capital, uh, we don't have an anchor any longer. And that means we're in a completely new world. It is a new world, isn't it? The dollar uh, rampant against, for example, the euro. I know you prefer to look at the uh, Chinese currency. Uh, but on the other hand, how significant is dollar strength, whether it be the dollar index or against a, a, a basket of currencies? What's happening at the moment is that essentially it's a defensive action being taken by people that have money or uh, instruments that can be readily turned into money elsewhere in the world who feel that markets are likely to be going down, whether it's bond or equity markets. So they're essentially cashing up and running to the dollar because they think the dollar is the safest place to be. Uh, this is not an endorsement any, in any way of the United States because they're not rushing into US equities or US bonds or even US agency bonds like uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They're simply going into dollar cash. So it's a purely defensive reflex that uh, investors all over the world if they are able, um, are now doing. And I shouldn't see, uh, you know, shouldn't read too much into it uh, beyond that. Uh, the one thing that's interesting to note, um, and you mentioned the euro and the dollar, is that the Chinese are playing this game, as always, a little more carefully than most people are giving them credit. And they have decided not to, as I will explain in my presentation, uh, manage against the dollar any longer, but they, they manage against the DXY, the dollar index, which is 80% yes. made up of exporting countries, uh, of course not the United States, who are the main competitors for China in the international arena. So what they're doing is they're trying to um, stop strength, too much strength, against the euro, against the yen, against the Swedish crown, against the Swiss franc. And that's why, for instance, we have seen the renminbi actually not do so badly in the context. They're still allowing appreciation versus those currencies. But on the other side, that means that the Chinese can now buy relative to the Swedes or the Swiss or the Europeans or the Japanese. They can now buy commodities at a cheaper rate uh, than their competitors can. So they might lose a little bit on the price, but they win on the cost. I'm reading a couple of bits of preamble to your uh, presentation that will be forthcoming. You say for fixed incomes, yield curves are below current and forecast inflation. Western government bonds are now in the worlds of Gavrikul. It says certificates of confiscation. What do you mean by that? What is a certificate of confiscation? Well, I give money to the German government and they essentially exact a price from me for the privilege of my lending money to them, simply because they're giving me a yield uh, that is lower than the rate of inflation. 
And that's uh, it's what we call financial repression. If you actually stand back and ask what, what the governments want to do at the moment, given their mountains of debt, that's exactly what they do want to do, because they want to let inflation slowly but surely dissolve away the real value of that debt. But for me as an investor, it's madness for me to essentially, and let's go off to the US, mm. to give them money they'll pay 3% on, and in return, they give me inflation that is 8%. There's a 5% loss in my investing in a short-term bond in the United States. You say in such a world, one of unanchored risk. And when I think of unanchored, I think of, of a ship floundering in, in choppy seas, not being able to navigate and just at the mercy of the elements. Is that how you see the world at the moment, the investment world at the moment? Because you say at the end of that sentence, fundamental valuation becomes a much more complex undertaking, which means that you and your colleagues at 91 really have to be assiduous and earn your monthly envelope. Look, I think like Columbus, you can still go exploring. You may not have uh, all the modern instrumentation that a current navigator might have, but there are signs out there that you can follow, like as he said when he left uh, Iberia, leaving the old world behind, we followed the light of the sun. He can always follow the light of the sun and knowing where sunset is, uh, knowing that that's the West. So there are there are signs out there that you can use, and I don't think we're completely... We may be unanchored, but we're not adrift. We are capable of looking at the stars, following, as Columbus did for a period of his journey, the albatross, and remembering that the sun sets in the west, and 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 do that for long enough, and you're mm. uh, you're fated uh, to land in in the Americas. Very very good point, and well described. Uh, you say you've identified ten compass points, as you call them, four short term measures, uh, changing regularly, and six longer term, changing more infrequently, to help the investor triangulate risk and so help pinpoint valuations. Maybe briefly go through those ten compass points, if you would. Well, would you just give me one in particular that you want to, you know, talk about, or or, or one of each category, and 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 I'm happy to do so. I mean, I, the one that first comes to mind, of course, is is the exchange rate. Yes. But I think, as I just explained to you, one needs to understand that the Chinese are not managing against the dollar; they're managing against the dollar index. And once you understand that, a very different picture starts to emerge. This is part and parcel of of what I describe as the emergence of different atmospheres for capital, and the atmosphere with which we're so familiar, indeed so blind to the idea that there might be an, another atmosphere, is of course the dollar. I call it dollar blindness, and there are plenty of people in the world who simply cannot think in another reference currency. But I think that we do, as investors, insofar as we now are traveling across these atmospheres, we at 91 have to be able to tell our clients the different operating conditions uh, in other atmospheres because those operating conditions affect uh, risk and return. I'd like to know a little bit about the inflation risk and therefore the concomitant interest rate rising environment. I mean, recently we've seen the United Kingdom record its four-decade high in inflation. The United States is undoubtedly going to do the same, in my opinion. That's not your opinion, that's my opinion. So that would be one of the points that I, I think. And I don't know whether that's a short-term point that you want to make or a longer-term point. Maybe it's both. In the first instance, it's a short-term point. But I think that if it persists, uh, if they can't bring down inflation uh, quick enough, and that, that's one of the central points that I make in my presentation, uh, then we potentially have a major problem. But in the short term, part of the problem is that for 20 years, the nominal and the real were pretty close together, so much so that we conflated them wrong, wrongly. But, but in our minds, when 
someone said, for instance, as happened yesterday, oh, consumer sales in the United States was up 0.9%, that was nominal. But it was down in real terms. Everyone was jumping up and clapping their hands and saying, wow, didn't they do well? They didn't do so well because in real terms it fell. And what we need to do now is to understand that the conflation of, of inflation um, and rates, for instance, uh, is not something we can do now without actually being punished by making that mistake. And so I think that's where we are now. And just to go back to an earlier point that I make, that the, the challenge facing the Fed has to be that if they cannot bring, and I'm pretty much saying by fourth quarter next year, the rate of inflation below the Fed funds rate and they are staring, as I suspect they might well be, uh, a recession in the United States in the face. They're not going to be able to raid, raise rates any longer, and they're going to be cutting rates even when inflation is still above the Fed funds rate. So in other words, they're still going to be underwater in real terms. And I think when if that was to happen, um, then, then valuation as we know it uh, potentially really does become unanchored. Um, and we, 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 we potentially have a major problem on our hands. Your final sentence in the introduction to your piece says the following. This exercise is done whilst all the while noting that China and East Asia's bonds have positive yields, very important, positive real yields, and their companies face weighted average costs of capital that are positive real. When you sum up your presentation, what was the final the conclusion of it? Well, I think the, the conclusion is that you can't dismiss China with all the problems they have at the moment, COVID-related, et cetera, et cetera. The fact is that yeah, leaving the, the, the political rhetoric that we traditionally use aside, that bizarrely, China is acting in a more capitalist way at the moment than the United States because they are charging risk takers a real amount for taking risk. Whereas if you're in the United States at the moment, the vast majority of risk takers are taking risk for a negative real rate. And that to me, you know, I have a, an image in the, in the, in the presentation uh, of a gyroscope. If, if the gyroscope of capitalism has as its heart a gimbal as it does, mm. the gimbal is the, the process by which we allocate capital. It's the weighted average cost of capital, if you want to, to be very specific about it. And when that is broken, as it is uh, in the dollar atmosphere for capital at the moment, fine, it can be broken for a short period of time. But if it becomes permanently broken, if by the fourth quarter next year, the Fed can't get the Fed funds rate above the inflation rate, then the gimbal is not just broken short term. It may be broken medium to long term. And that causes me a problem because why should I risk my capital in an atmosphere for capital where the risk is not being properly priced? Michael Powell, thanks very much for your insight. Michael Powell is a strategist at 91 in Cape Town. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.